From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, it is Teeing It Up with uh, Jeremy Schelling for Wednesday, s- September 23rd, Bruce Springsteen's 71st birthday. Happy birthday, Bruce. Um, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show. It has been a while, but 2020 has been an odd year on many fronts. Sean Davison back to the show. Welcome back, Sean. We are talking about the U.S. Open, right? The U.S. Open in September? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's it's very odd that I'm going to go from this to a, a uh, you know, to have dinner and then watch a basketball playoff game. Um, to, it's a very odd sequence. Since we haven't talked to you in a while, let's take a step back before we get to Wingfoot. Um, what have been your overall thoughts on golf's return to golf the pga tour specifically the quality of the play the quality of the winners yeah you know john rom dustin johnson uh the formal hello to colin morikawa sure he won last year but it was at barracuda an opposite field event um this year we see him twice winning at Muirfield, then of course winning the pga bryson winning a major as well um so i think for a lot of folks that, you know, with certain sports just now coming back, um, you know, not being able to go to sporting events, but now we're watching them on TV as opposed to actually going to them in person, uh, you know, I think we're watching more sports on TV, which means we've got more of a chance to meet these guys and get to know these guys, and on the LPGA side, these ladies, more than we ever have before. And so I think it's incredibly cool that, you know, sure, they know who Tiger or JT or DJ are. They might have heard of a Colin Morikawa. Um, they might be somewhat familiar with Bryson DeChambeau. Um, but this year, we've seen a little bit of everything. Uh, we've seen the resurgence of Daniel Berger as well. Uh, and it's going to be a fun ride as we speed throughout the rest of the summer into the fall, into the winter. We've got big tournaments on the men's and the ladies' side. We've got the Masters still coming up. We've got two majors for the women coming up, the Women's PGA, and then, of course, their U.S. Open, which is darn near Christmas time. Yeah. Um, and then we turn the calendar over. We're in Hawaii, and off we go again, playing for some of these tournaments a second time in a calendar year, or a, a second time in a PGA Tour year. And we get two straight Masters, which is going to be really bizarre. Yeah, how does that work with the green jacket? Usually they can keep it a year until the next one, but if they've got a few months, how does, yeah, how does that work? That's a really good question that has not been asked that much. Uh, Tiger's gotten more questions about um, keeping the green jacket and Shane Lowry about keeping the claret jug than what happens to the person who only gets to keep it for five months. That is very interesting. To your point about quality of winner, Daniel Berger, who is the hottest player coming into the shutdown and has kept that going. He wins at Colonial. Webb wins at, wins at Harbortown. DJ starts his run to a FedEx Cup by winning um, at Travelers. Then you get Bryson in, in Detroit. Colin at Muirfield 1. You get John Rahm at, at Muirfield 2, a.k.a the Memorial Tournament. You get Michael Thompson, who's probably the one huh out of this list. But Michael Thompson was a winner years ago at Honda. You were probably there. 
he, I sure was. And, and it's a game that you thought might come around at some point uh, for such a straight hitter on some of these golf courses. And he goes to Blaine, Minnesota, 3M Open, keeps it out of the humps and bumps and, and goes on to a victory there, holding off some others. JT at Memphis. Richie Wierenski was getting close. And yes, it was an opposite field event, but but getting close. Colin Morikawa at the PGA. Jim Herman's now a three-time winner on the PGA Tour. Then Justin, Rom, sorry, Dustin, Rom, Dustin going through the playoffs. It's been a really high-quality, high-caliber winner. And then, to just to kick off 2021, you get the feel-good story that is Stuart Sink, his wife healthy, his game back for his first win since... Uh, he spoiled Tom Watson's parade in 2009. I think that took a lot away from winning that Open, Sean. I think it was more the story that, that could have been with Tom versus what Stuart Sink did do, which is post a great number. And, and ultimately, Tom came back to him. And I'm glad that Stuart now gets his time to sunset. And then, obviously, we get Bryson and what Bryson did this past week. Um, at Wingfoot. So, yeah, really high-caliber quality winner. And if you don't mind me going back to Jeremy, 2009, what a year that was at the majors where you kind of feel bad for the guys who did win them because a lot of the time, if you look at those tournaments, I know you don't pay too much attention to who finished second, but if you look at all those majors, I think the bigger storyline was who finished second. You know, 2009, the Masters, sure, Cabrera won it, but a lot of people were watching and rooting for Kenny Perry, who was having that uh, career resurgence as he was approaching the PGA Tour champion. Yep, and don't forget Chad Campbell was in that playoff as well. Yep. Uh, You go up to the U.S. Open, up in New York. Phil, Duvall, Tiger, all in the conversation, and it's Lucas Glover. You go to the Open Championship that year, what Tom Watson was authoring for three days and 17 holes, and it was Stuart Sink. And then you go to the PGA, and it's Y-E-S, beating Tiger. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Let's just say one quick thing here about Tiger, because I I think it's important. He looks the best any of us had seen him in the match against um, Phil and Tom Brady alongside Peyton Manning, and then has not looked the same since. He hasn't played a lot. Um, he said that he wanted to see if the protocols worked before he came back. Medalist is obviously his home course. Um, and then, you know, misses the cut at the U.S. Open. I don't think that was made for him. PGA didn't look like himself. Memorial, toughest setup other than Olympia Fields uh, so far in the restart uh, uh, before last week. Didn't look great there. Um, now he goes off to Shearwood as his tune-up for the Masters, and obviously at the golf course he has thrived on for the transplanted Zozo, but I know some people want to put a fork in Tiger, stick a fork in Tiger, but for me this has just been a combination of lack of reps, wrong courses, wrong setups, and I think we could be entering a stretch, Shearwood and Augusta, that more fit who Tiger Woods is in 2020. Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, with COVID, and I think what a lot of people also have to, to keep in mind, too, is that Tiger is 
in his mid-40s, which means whereas a lot of these youngsters who are out on tour, their parents and whatnot are relatively younger themselves, Tiger's mom is part of a demographic where we still would view that group as being particularly at risk. Yep, and and he has commented on her having ailing health, so there's that part of it too. Exactly. So, you know, for a guy who's got all the money in the world, and sure, he wants to win. Obviously, he wants to win. Um, majors and tournaments in general. You know, he's got Sneed's record to break, and he's got Jack's record that after winning Augusta last year, there's new life and new hope that he might at some point track him down. Um, sure, he wants to do all of that, but at the same time, if there's anybody out there on tour, anybody who's got the freedom and the ability to just say, you know what, I'm going to play it safe for a while. I want to make sure that I'm staying healthy, my family's staying healthy. Um, that would be him, you know. And so between that and just the stop-start kind of format for the PGA Tour this year because of COVID-19, the way he likes to structure his tune-ups for tournaments, the fact that he's had so many back and knee surgeries, and it's a process just to feel well enough, to practice well enough, to get ready enough, to play and compete and to potentially win, you know, there's a whole bunch of variables here. And so, you know, when you add on a course that might not be the right fit on top of that, as you mentioned, you know, you can see where the cards are stacked up against him. He's not the 20-year-old that, regardless of how the course fit, he could just go out there and overpower it the way a certain somebody was able to overpower Wingfoot, dare I say, this past week. Um you know, that's just not his game. That's just not who he is anymore. You saw it the way he won the Masters last year. Um, but that all having been said, there's still plenty of game left in there. And if he can play well at Sherwood and his tune-up for Augusta, then he plays Augusta. He'll, of course, uh, have some opportunities as we head into 2021. Next thing you know, we're back at Torrey Pines. And then after that, we're back at Riviera. Then we're back at Florida, where he's won a billion times at Bay Hill. And off we go again into Augusta for the second time in the span of about six months. So there's a very good chance that we're going to see this surge from Tiger. Um, but he's just not played enough, and it's a combination of a multitude of different things. Yeah, we're talking to Sean Davison here on Teeing It Up. Um, I want to start uh, with uh, talking about the U.S. Open with everybody not Bryson DeChambeau, because I, I, I think... That's going to be very interesting in in my reading of this. And I want to back up for a second and talk about uh, some other people. What I find interesting, and, and you being an ACC guy can speak to this, the amount of golfers that have come out of Florida State recently have been incredible. And, and we spoke about Daniel Berger earlier, obviously the Kepka brothers. Will Zalatoris went to Wake and had a really good um, you know, college career, amateur career. He was an All-American. He's been on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's their best player of the year. He's got a win. He's got 10 top 10s and 16 starts. He finishes in a tie for six at the U.S. Open. Significant in three ways. Number one, it's a heck of a, uh, a heck of a job. First of all, moving up a leaderboard on Sunday when you know a bunch of guys were moving backwards because of leaderboard gravity and, and Sunday at a major nerves and you're moving the opposite direction. Um, even with you just shooting 71, one over. Look, Bryson was the only guy who shot under par on Sunday. 71s are going to do you a lot of good and, and both him and Tony Finau made a lot of progress up that leaderboard doing it that way. 
But number two, uh, because of the pandemic, there are no graduates out of the Corn Ferry Tour this year. The people like him who are top five in the rankings get conditional status, but very limited starts. He got a sponsor's exemption already into the event this week in the Dominican Republic. But because he was top 10 in the previous week's PGA Tour event, he doesn't have to use his sponsor invite. He can put it back in his back pocket. Um, that is hugely significant for somebody who has a load of talent and is destined to do things on the PGA Tour if he can just get any kind of status. And now he ends up in non-member FedEx Cup point potential and could get special temporary membership here before we know it. So I, I, one of the biggest winners besides Bryson out of the U.S. Open in my book is uh, Will Zalatoris just because of everything that that T6 finish meant for him. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And that's another thing that you mentioned is that, you know, we have to keep our eye on. We don't have that wave of corn fairy guys coming out on the tour. I mean, there's some conditional status. There's some opportunities. You know, some of them, as you mentioned, Zalatoris have some exemptions. And so, you know, just to even add on to that, not only did he get to put that exemption back into his pocket, but he's been able to bank some of those non-member points. He's also been able to bank some, um, I'm sure, as you're initially making your way out onto the PGA Tour, that first big paycheck sure feels good. You know, so in a multitude of ways, this was a big week for him. Uh, and you mentioned Wake Forest, you know, just down the leaderboard from him, Webb Simpson. Um, and it just seems like yesterday that Webb Simpson was that amateur that used to play at Wake Forest that was getting the invites uh, into Arnold Palmer's tournament in Bay Hill and playing particularly well there. And next thing you know, he's a U.S. Open champion. Now he's added a players. He's won this past season as well. Uh, and he finishes in the top ten at a U.S. Open. I, I, you know, I think, to me, the interesting name up there in that top ten, because we haven't seen a whole lot of him lately, Zach Johnson finished in the top ten. Yeah. And, and that was the thing. You know, what's interesting about that, actually, let's 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 table that for one second. Um, if, if anybody knows Sean Davison and, and his love for Florida State and, and, and everything he does, uh, you know, with that university still, but, but just his his love of that place. We have to mention John Pack, who was the low amateur, who who has has gone and, and still is. A member, uh, I, I believe, is is still a player at, um, yeah, uh, 2018 ACC Freshman of the Year. So, obviously, he would still be there. Um, here's somebody who has done all these things. Semi-finalist for the uh, Jack Nicholas Award. Was the Freshman of the Year, as I said. Made the Walker Cup team in 2019. Won several events um, as a Seminole. Uh, he's somebody who I'm sure you're looking at as being the next in that Florida State pipeline of athletes. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly bizarre, to be honest with you, how in the time that I've been in Tallahassee, I've seen this pipeline form. Jonas Blix was a little bit before me, um, but not too, too far. Uh, and then Brooks Kepka's last year was my first year in Tallahassee. So... You know, I think as I've joked a few times with you, at the peak of my professional athletic career, which is non-existent, was, you know, one day just going over to the golf course on campus and, you know, warming up on the putting green, and there's Kepka on the other side of the putting green. So at one point in time, 
I shared a putting green with him. Um, <laughs> you know, and then at that point in time, as time went by, um, Berger and Lidiota uh, were there. Jack McGuire, who's on the Corn Ferry Tour and, and reeled off a couple of really good finishes out there uh, and has made the cut in the U.S. Open a couple of times, uh, came right behind them. And now here we go again uh, with John Pack, who... You know, in addition to everything that you've mentioned there, he was on the Walker Cup team, had a perfect record on the Walker Cup team, uh, won the ACC championship, the individual, um, the last time that it was contested. And, of course, with spring sports and the NCAA being uh, canceled because of COVID-19, he is the two-year now reigning ACC individual champion. Um, but really, I mean, he is just such a strong player, and it's just continuing this powerhouse. You know, I get that Oklahoma State gets the credit that it does, and rightfully so. I mean, look at what Ricky Fowler's done. Look at what Victor Hovland's doing. Matthew Wolf, for crying out loud, just finished second in the U.S. Open. You know, and the list goes on and on. Texas, Alabama, um, and Georgia, of course. But FSU, for a school that might not exactly be one of the first ones to jump out, is starting to really make a name for themselves. And when you couple that with the fact that over the past couple of years, Jack Nicklaus and his son Jackie overhauled the entire golf course, completely renovated it, and it's a Nicholas-designed golf course. Um, you know, you've got the facilities, you've got the pedigree, you've got the fine play. It, it's all coming together where, you know, on the college front, I could absolutely see that Trey Jones has got something going here. Talking to Sean Davidson here on Teeing It Up. All right, you mentioned Zach Johnson who finished T6. What, what's interesting about this for me involving Zach um, uh, sorry, uh, uh, T8 for uh, Zach Johnson. I was looking at Dustin. Um, my bad. Um, is that he's not been the same since he went to PXG. And here's one of the best wedge players. And he gives up titleless Vokey wedges to go to PXG. And it still, to me, is one of the more perplexing moves any golfer has made equipment-wise. Um and it, maybe he's finally got things dialed in after this long, but then it's been a long drought, and he's getting up there in age, and that's problematic um, in, in the sense, Sean, that, that you don't know how many more cracks at it you have, especially with his length, and you know only really the, the, the harbor towns and the colonials being the places where those guys can thrive. Um, but kudos to him for, for really, I guess, his game and his strengths, which is fairways hit, greens hit, you know, similar to Brendan Todd in that regard, um, coming up in a big spot and getting him to the T8 finish. Were you looking at my notes? You hit a lot of the stuff I was about to say. Um, so for me... For the record, folks, this is a phone call. This is not a Zoom podcast. This is a phone call podcast. This is, this is true. This is true. Um, but, yeah, the first thing that you said that I was going to say was about his length. You know, he's never been one of the longer guys out there. And as these younger kids come out, and, of course, they're younger, but they also hit the ball longer to begin with. And then, of course, you see what Bryson DeChambeau does. And, you know, he was already hitting the ball longer than Zach. Then he goes and bolts up and comes back from COVID looking like literally the Incredible Hulk and hits it another 30 yards further than where he was before. Um, you know, it, it becomes very hard to keep up. And then the other point I was going to make was that the places that you would typically expect to see him keep up are at a harbor town or at a colonial. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, but but that is um, but the, but again, as you mentioned, hitting fairways is a calling card for for what Zach does. And 
And at a U.S. Open, where the course plays so incredibly long, in a weird way, the length of those courses, where it typically does play particularly long, helps a guy like that because par fives, where normally you're laying up and these other guys have a chance to reach in two, if everybody's laying up, you know, it does become that wedge contest. And the question then becomes, how dialed in are you? Which was never a question before, but seemingly has been since the equipment shift. Um, but we'll see. You know, Zach already, I, I firmly believe, has a Hall of Fame career. He's won double-digit tournaments. He's won two majors at St. Andrews and Augusta, no less. And usually somewhere in that neighborhood is kind of the criteria um, where you would see somebody get into the Hall of Fame at some point. And for a, a guy, for a little guy out of the Midwest, out of Iowa, who doesn't hit the ball particularly far, that's an incredible career. Uh, and as you mentioned, he's getting up there in age, and I'm sure once he does make his way out onto the PGA Tour champions, which is still a few years down the road, he's going to light it up out there for a while. Uh, but, you know, We'll be optimistic. Let's let's hope because he's one of the best guys out there on tour. You never hear a fellow pro say anything bad about him. Um, you just like to see him do well because he he gets the big picture uh, beyond the golf course. So it was cool to see him finish in the top ten uh, and factor into the, into the tournament a little bit over the weekend. And and hopefully there's some better play in store for him moving forward. Another guy I'm sure you were happy to see back up there is Harris English, um, who has made. Uh, the Florida swing and Bermuda grass, uh, his go-to. He's played well in these playoffs, and he played well coming into the U.S. Open, and then he finishes solo fourth. Um, you have to think that another win for him, and he has not won in a while. I'm not sure when his last win was, but it feels like it's been forever. Um, you you would have to feel as if um, uh, his next victory is coming, and. It's not that far away. Yeah, to your point, Jeremy, I believe his last one might have been Mayakoba, but I can't place the year, maybe 13 or 14. I'm going to look it, it up right now as you talk about Harris. It, it's been a little bit. Um, it, it's interesting. Two of the biggest comeback stories we've seen this year have been, as we talked about the Seminoles earlier, have been Bulldogs. Between Brendan Todd, whose game fell off the face of a cliff, we, we stopped hearing about him for years. And then Harris English, what he's done uh, this year. Both of those guys this year authoring the kind of seasons that they have. It's been really incredible to watch. And again, those are names that your average sports viewer who doesn't watch much golf would typically be that familiar with until they tune into a major. But uh, for me, the thing that stuck out about Harris was the moxie that he showed on Sunday. You know, if you have fans and you have the full complement of marshals and folks that are on a golf course for any tournament, much less a major, the ball that he hit in the left rough on one is found, no doubt, yeah. all the time. Uh, gets up there, three-minute clock instead of five-minute clock, now has to make his way back to the team because nobody was able to find it. Gets his round off to a horrific start with a double bogey at the first, and he shoots three over par on a really tough golf course. So he played some high-quality golf um, over those last 17 holes, as he did all week and as he has all season. Uh, he's one of the guys, to your point, Jeremy, that I would expect um, to win here very soon. Mayakoba's coming up here relatively soon. It, you know, he's won there before, uh, so he certainly could factor into the equation there. But guys like Harris English, Abraham Answer, it, it's not a question of if, it's more a question of when, and I've I firmly believe that one is going to be very soon. 
You said his Mayakoba win was in 2013? 13, 14, something like that, yeah. It was 2013, part of the 2013-2014 wraparound season. There you go. Very good. Now, I will say he has had a win sooner than that. Uh, uh, Sorry, more recent than that. He won the QBE shootout, a.k.a. the Shark shootout, at the time the Franklin Templeton shootout alongside Matt Kuchar in 2016. So, he has had a silly season. Yes, he has had a a silly season win. All right, that that brings us to the top of the leaderboard. I'm going to skip Xander Shoffley because you and I both know it's just a matter of when, not if, with him. For, For me, Sean, Matt Wolf is a case of it's just going to be enough time soon. It, it, it's This was his first final group at a major. It's different than a PGA, even though he contended there. He was coming from way out in front at Harding when he made that run and had that lead when it was like in a seven-way tie at 10 under or whatever it was there. Um, so for my money, Sean, Matt Wolf is a beautiful golf swing, a funny guy. It's just a matter of when he made a couple too many mistakes. His swing was loose all week. He, you can't hit two fairways at a U.S. Open and, and expect to win. He wound up hitting five on Sunday, but just was, was too loose, and I think that's what plagued him overall. The thing about Bryson, and and if you want to add anything on, on with uh, Matt Wolf, uh, feel free in, in, in your answer here. For, for, for me with Bryson, the question for me is, is that I, I, I you know, we, we talk so much about bifurcation when it comes to the rules of golf. I believe this is going to be bifurcating in terms of what this does for golf. I believe there are very few people that are willing to put in the time, the effort, the scientific research that it takes to put on the weight that he does, to do it safely, to do it with muscle, to keep your swing going. We've seen body transformations backfire for years. Jason Duffner being one of the more re, uh, uh, recent backfirings. And, or as uh, Tim Heron likes to say, every time I tried to change anything, my game went bad. So I just got back to being fat again. Um, so I think there's a very select few guys that can do what he did in that sense. However, I do think that you're going to see a bunch of guys look at the anecdotal evidence and the statistical evidence for that week's golf course and figure out if it fits their game to be more aggressive. And we talk so much about Bob and Gouge, uh, 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 sorry, excuse me, Bob and Gouge. And there's a lot of guys out there that already do it. But to the level that Bryson has to be able to hit it straight, I think you may see some guys try to hit it longer while also straighter, whether it's with an equipment change, whether it's with a launch angle change. He's more loft on his putter than his driver, which is astounding. For me, that's where I think the influence of of Bryson's victory lies. I, I, I just don't feel like you're going to see guys bulking up like he has. I don't think you're going to see guys bulking up quite to that extent. And credit to Bryson for for jumping in on the deep end. You know, you could wade into the shallow end of the pool or you could jump in head first. <laughs> and, and that's what he sure did. Um, but, you know, uh, 
one of the things that strikes me about Bryson and what he's doing is, you know, when Tiger came out and, and Tiger was a novelty out on tour and people knew who he was, he, they knew who he projected to be, um, you know, within almost immediate, uh, immediately, you know, he, he turned golf into a more athletic, younger kind of theme. You know, it was a new kind of athleticism that perhaps it's safe to say golf hadn't quite seen before. And so now, here comes Bryson, looking like the Hulk, um, hitting the ball obscene distances. And, you know, that's a brand new style of golf and athleticism that I don't think we've quite seen the likes of before. Um, so it, it's an interesting time, yeah, to say the least, where we might be seeing a bit of a shift. I just, like you said, I don't see how very many guys go out and commit to such a drastic uh, body kind of change. Um, you know, you can tweak the equipment, you can figure out other ways to do it, you can figure out, you know, different things within your swing to hit the ball straighter. Um, you know, all those things can happen, and I think those are all efforts, as you mentioned, that other players are going to take. Uh, and I, I do think along the way you're going to see players that are going to commit to this complete body transformation sort of thing. You know, there's a guy out on tour uh, who we don't hear very much of very often, but Scott Stallings, uh, for, for every bit that Bryson has done, if you just look at what Scott Stallings is posting on uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, the pictures of his workouts and whatnot, and then you see what he looked like years ago back when he was first on tour. Oh, my goodness. You know, and, and look at what Rory has done. You know, not to the extent of Bryson, but I do think... You know, one, you're going to see guys value fitness more. Two, I think you're going to see them try to gear their games more toward that bomb and gouge style, however it might look. It might not look exactly the way Bryson has modeled it. But I think we're starting to see a methodology here. Shocker, right? Let me put on my surprise face that the mad scientist in golf here has sort of set us on. And it'll be... A lot of fun to see what kind of traction that gains or what the next step is, if there is one in the immediate future, and how much Bryson is going to be able to do until somebody else comes along and starts to do what he's doing physically, um, you know, lengthwise, etc. cetera. Uh, but really, it's impressive to see how somebody that young has the gumption, has the uh, nerve to come up with an idea, sit down with his coach, lay out the breadcrumbs, figure out how to get there practically over a period of time, do it, not sacrifice his swing, as you mentioned, and turn these results the way he has. You know, it's not a fluke. Bryson's not a fluke. Uh, and, and it'll be a lot of fun to see what this carries into and how long it takes before anybody comes along that can even somewhat match him in terms of raw strength uh, and some of the crazy things he can do to a golf ball. I'll say uh, uh, two other things on that. Also, it's not just who else comes along, but it's can Bryson stay healthy with this? Um, it's a lot of pressure in a lot of places, and, and Ricky Fowler, not in a rude way, but, but Ricky Fowler basically said straight up, you know, I think he's going to run into back problems. Um so, you know, first, Bryson has to stay healthy. Secondly, I think the other place where you could see this change is launch angles. If For those who know Cameron Champ's swing, 
Cameron Champ is the opposite of Bryson. He's muscular, but he's he's muscular for his body. He's not like crazy muscular or anything, but he's just not, you know, a a fit athletic guy who has a ton of speed that, that doesn't necessarily show up, but there's things in his speed that make him the longest on tour, some say even longer than Bryson. But part of it is his launch angle. He just hits these low things that just run and run and run and run. So part of my question, Sean, is will, will more go to a lower launch angle potentially, try to get more roll and be out there with Bryson that way it's a really interesting thing and then the question also becomes if a golf course thinks they're going to be overpowered do they start being like augusta and more and mo towards the tee instead of towards the green to curb roll uh those are the the three things that i'm watching for specifically on that front Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point about Cam Champ because, you know, a lot of people might not necessarily recognize where all that power comes from. He's not the biggest in terms of stature. He's not the biggest in terms of breadth from shoulder to shoulder. Um, and, and that's all with Cam. It, it's a lot of lower body yeah, uh, and terrific timing. Uh, it, it's, you know, for those who might be listening who haven't really had a chance to watch, I, I recommend doing it. It's a lot of fun to watch that young guy swing a golf club and, and good for him also just having a nice year on tour, getting into the tour championship. Um, you know, that's another young one to keep an eye on moving forward as if we didn't already have enough of those. Yeah. Um, and someone who's, who's had a very emotional year at that. Um, he wins Safeway. He knows his father's, his uh, grandfather's on his last legs, um, loses his grandfather within days Hugely influential as the person who got him into it. Um, you know, heartbreaking. Doesn't have the best start to 2020 calendar year. Then everything with the pandemic and the social justice movement happens. He's biracial. Um, I believe it's either multiracial or biracial. And really took a stance that few others. Harold Varner was out there. Um, you know, in a must-watch chat with the commissioner, but he started wearing, Cam did, one black shoe and one white shoe as a uh, statement for what he wanted to see uh, change and for to, to make sure that his message of Black Lives Matter got out there. It's been a very heady, heavy year for Cam Champ. And to your point, for him to be able to reach the Tour Championship and get everything that, that being in the top 30 does... Um, is great to see, and he's somebody who I believe if, if, if he can have everything line up, is going to win an event that's not up against the NFL or not an opposite field event. He's going to win a big event and open some people's eyes. Couldn't agree more. Uh, we're talking to Sean Davison here on Teeing It Up. Um, the other thing that I want to bring up, just, just one last thing as we're 35 minutes exactly into this recording, is the boom we're seeing in recreational golf. And we've seen this before. Um, people thought the Tiger coming on the scene would lead to um, more minorities getting into the game. It did not, some did, it did not though overall, what it got is younger athletic guys like Gary Woodland, like DJ, like Kepka, who were basketball players, baseball players, may have gone a different way, but wound up coming to golf. This pandemic 
has led to golf being one of the most natural sports you can play in terms of social distancing. And one of the things that I find interesting about this in the PGA Tour context is obviously with no fans and just basically volunteers, martial spectators, we've been able to get some audio um, that has been pretty unique. And my hope is, and I don't know if you've seen this, but my hope is, is that people have actually sat down and watched this because you can learn a lot more personality-wise, I think, about these guys. You know, we always joke that, that Xander and, and, and Kyle Morikawa and Patrick Cantlay are very even-keeled looking, but they, but they have natural emotions on the inside. And I think some of what having no fans has done is brought out the personality in these guys. And we knew the Pat Perez's of the world were funny, and we knew that the uh, Harry Higgs of the worlds were funny. But some of the things we've been able to see with either mic'd up players or mics being around is uh, something that I hope holds and hope continues past just the pandemic and past just this boom that who knows how long it'll last will be for recreational golf. I'll add on to that just by saying how these past few years, even going beyond the pandemic, have been, oddly enough, the perfect storm for the growth of the game. The youngsters coming out and, you know, doing what they're doing to make golf look cool, you know, doing their part to bring in more uh, athletic-minded folks to, to give golf a try. Um, you know, these guys utilizing their platforms more, whether it be through social media, whether it be through the sit-down videos, as you mentioned with Harold Varner and, and the commissioner, Jay Monahan. Um, you know, there's a, it seems that over the past few years, the understanding of the platforms that they have, whether it's the Snapchat videos of Smiley Coffin, Ricky Fowler, you know, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth on their bro trips to the Bahamas and you know, all those sorts of things, it's humanized them a little bit more. It's made them more engaging people. And some of those guys, I know I mentioned four guys that are engaging enough as is, but it just sort of adds another layer. Um, Phil and Tiger linking up and, and playing these friendly-ish matches and bringing in <laughs> Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and doing that cross-sport collaboration when nothing else at that point, literally nothing else was on TV. You know, giving golf that kind of platform, just understanding that has been exceedingly uh, special for the game. Then you look at the guys who have won, who they are, where they come from, the cultures, the backgrounds that they represent. Uh, You know, we've had some really competitive tournaments. We've had guys from different generations win. You mentioned Stuart Sink winning. You know, part of that same generational group, part of that same age group was Tiger winning at Augusta, Tiger winning at the Tour Championship. You know, a, a guy like that who, you know, kids that are six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old don't have the most memories of watching, but they've probably heard a bunch of stories. And then out of nowhere, at the end of 2018 and throughout 2019, uh, you have what you saw with Tiger Woods, and and so that kind of resurgence is incredibly uh, important for the game. And you know, Phil winning again at, at one point a few years ago. I mean, it's it just it's been. A really fun time to watch the youngsters gain their footing, to watch the older guys restake their claim at various points and get some big wins, none bigger, of course, than Tiger at Augusta. The better understanding of the platform and the various platforms that exist that haven't even been touched yet, 
Uh, and here we are, as you mentioned, with COVID. Now we've got social distancing, and the easiest sport to socially distance with is golf. And so all this stuff that's drawing more and more people to the athletes and to the game itself, now you have this hiatus where we can't do anything in close proximity to other people, and the one sport that really allows for us to still get out and do stuff is the sport that's been growing the way it has over the past few years, and here we go again. You know, Now we're growing even more because people are going to go out and give it a try. Then we come back, people can't go to sporting events, so guess what we do? We tune in, we watch, and there's the access that you mentioned, not just to watching them play, but also to getting to know them. And so we've seen these generations from the likes of Tiger all the way down to the likes of, you know, Shoffley, Cantlay, so on and so forth, really grasp this and embrace it. And and that's a big-time kudos to all of them. Uh, And I don't want to leave out the LPGA Tour because I think they've done a sensational job as well uh, in doing that as well with all their players. And they've had a pretty darn terrific restart as well with the quality of winners, um, with some of the players that haven't won in a while, Stacey Lewis winning again, um, Austin Ernst winning again. The, the uh, run Daniel Kang had to start this thing off, the, the heck of an achievement by the LPGA to get Inverness on very short notice to, to sign on for that event. Mike Wan has made the most out of a really shitty situation. Oh, he absolutely has. And I'll tell you what, that's what his career has been. Because if you recall what yes. the LPGA looked like when yes. he took, o- took over, it, it was not in a no. place whatsoever. And through embracing social media and through embracing the sponsors that they had left and really engaging their players with kids and the communities and the players jumping on board with that, uh, you know, we're seeing the LPGA get to a spot where it, it's, it's grown perhaps even to beyond what it was before it declined to the point where Mike Wan took it over. Uh, And so it's incredible to see where golf is, not just for the men, but also for the women in what has been the most uncertain of times that any of us has ever seen. You summed it up better than I could, that's for sure. Um, Sean Davison, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Appreciate it as always, Jeremy. I look forward to talking to you after Augusta. You got it, and uh, or or sooner, you never know. Something could happen in cool. golf that'll have you on the show. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.